Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. Yes, Generation BSC, which is our podcast revisiting each of the Babysitter's Club books in order, discussing, reminiscing, talking about our perspective, looking back and what we remember as kids, and just sort of generally talking about our micro-generation, which is Generation BSC. Absolutely. Um, So what are we talking about today, Miss? Vlasic. We are talking about book 15 in the regular series, which is called Little Miss Stony Brook, dot, 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 and Dawn. I love the insert drama here. Um, <laughs> so let's kick things off. I will give us a little back of the book summary. Dawn's a little jealous when there's a formal ceremony to welcome Jesse and Mallory into the babysitter's club. Don't people know that Dawn's a special babysitter too? Then it's Dawn's time to shine. Mrs. Pike wants Dawn to help prepare Margot and Claire for the Little Miss Sony Brook contest. So what if Margot's only talent is peeling a banana with her feet? Dawn's going to help her charges win that contest any way she can. The only trouble is... Christy, Marianne, and Claudia are helping Karen, Mariah, and Charlotte enter the contest, too. And nobody's sure where the competition is fiercer, at the pageant or in the Babysitter's Club. So dramatic. Um, <laughs> You know what? It's funny because um, it's way more dramatic than the actual stakes of the book, but it is absolutely on par with how seriously the girls took the stakes. That is true. Um, I I think the the first paragraph about Dawn being a special babysitter, yes. too, like that I feel like is barely touched on in like the first chapter. But then it, the, the pageant stuff, for sure, the girls take it so seriously and they're very into it and very into their respective girls that they're helping. So that part, yes. yeah, it's dramatic from their perspective for sure. And you're exactly right. Uh, that opening sentence, I guess that was technically what sort of kicked off this whole um, them feeling the need to one up themselves as show who's best mm-hmm. babysitter. But uh, so um, another peek behind the curtain. We actually prepared this episode in the before times. <laughs> <laughs> Um, That's true. We were planning to record right before Ohio was like, how about you guys not be around other people? <laughs> so we were like, yeah, that was- okay, well, we'll just we'll just hold off. It'll probably only be like a couple weeks. We have a few in the can. We're fine. Um, yeah, we really thought we would be back to life as normal um, and recording back in the pod basement by now. But um, sadly, not the case. No. Um in any case, uh, so I initially read this for it, gosh, months ago at this yeah, point. It's or, been a it while. It feels like <laughs> years, decades. Time has lost all meaning. Um, so when I, I reread this morning or an, an afternoon, well, and again, I use reread very strongly. I like went back over my notes and, and skimmed back through it. And I had totally forgotten that that was the supposed inciting incident. That and the, um, the fact that Charlotte wanted to... Um, specifically requested Claudia because mm-hmm. she was missing Stacy and she wanted to feel close to her. And that set off a whole, well, why am I not the one that people are asking for? Exactly. Um, so why don't you tell us what really happened? Yes. Okay. So the Dawn specific story here, uh, Jeff gets in trouble at school again and uses that as a jumping off point to rationally bring up his desire to go back to California. Things move quickly, but Mrs. Schaefer works things out with Mr. Schaefer, and Jeff is going back, going to go back to California for a six-month trial period. Don, completely reasonably, gets upset and feels like Jeff is deserting their family and won't miss them at all. To distract herself, she throws herself into helping Claire and Margot Pike 
prepare for Little Miss Stony Brook. Things go well, about as well as you'd expect when the when the Pikes are involved, but it's ultimately a good distraction. The night before the pageant is when Jeff leaves for California, and Don uses the pageant as an excuse to play matchmaker, telling her mom she should come and that she can sit with Mr. Spear for the show. Babysitter's Club generally... Jesse and Mallory are officially inducted into the Babysitter's Club in ceremony that Christy clearly makes up on the spot, but which still makes Don jealous since she, she didn't get anything more official than a pizza toast. The Babysitter's Club discovers that there will be a little Miss Stony Brook pageant after they finish reading their favorite in the newspaper, Crime Watch. The girls have varying reactions to the idea of pageants, but after Don is asked by Mrs. Pike to help Claire and Margot pre- pre- prepare to participate... The rest of the girls, excluding Jesse and Mallory, who are vehemently opposed, recruit their own charges to help prepare for the pageant. The Babysitter's Club gets extremely competitive about who is the ba- best babysitter, thinking that if their girl, their respective girl wins, it will prove it once and for all. The participants in the pageant have varying levels of success, with Mariah Perkins being a standout, who ultimately comes in second because of the politics of the child pageant circuit. The Babysitter's Club learns their lesson, and most of the girls have no desire to participate in a pageant again, except for Claire Pike, who ends the book asking Dawn to help her prepare for the Beautiful Child contest at Bel Air's department store. Oh my goodness. Um, Such a lot actually happened in this book, and I have to tell you... I really enjoyed it. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I can't remember how much, what my feelings of it were when life was simple and unfettered. Um, I remember enjoying it, but revisiting it uh, this afternoon, I was like, wow, this is delightful. I'm glad we're going to have a chance to just talk about this for a little while today. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's dive in to the big question with all of this. What is your stance on pageants? You know, I, they're not my favorite, but I appreciate that there are women and girls who gain certain skills, you know, poise, public speaking, those sorts of things. I understand to a certain degree the appeal of participating in them. I don't love the culture of them if that's the right way to say it like and the swimsuit pageant kind of bullshit is Mm, definitely not my jam um so I guess I'm sort of in the middle like from one's perspective I support I support women I mean I guess this is in line with everything I support women's right to choose to want to do this I don't love everything that is surrounding you know, it, it, when it comes to like an individual woman or girl deciding, I want to try to do this and I want to learn and I want to grow, that's awesome. But like everything around it that is gross, I don't like. Yeah, I think um, I, I think for me on an individual level, it's just not really my jam. Although I won't lie to you, when I was the girl's age, I absolutely did like appointment viewing with girls from school, watch mm-hmm. Miss America and, you know, ooh and ah over the pretty dresses. But I think I take a, as an adult, take a pretty similar stance to you in that I think the, that systematically it's some patriarchal bullshit. Exactly. Um, but that there have been plenty of badass women who have reclaimed some of those spaces and made it their own um, and, and shaped it to be something different from that. I think I think you're exactly right. There are amazing things that people can take out of um, that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think the same type of things you would get from any like sport or uh, theater um, or any type of activity like that. Really, if you think about it, pageants are kind of a mix between theater and athleticism. Right. <laughs> like, no, yeah, um, 100%. It's like competitive theater, basically. Yeah. Um, it w- Because, you know, how you look does matter in theater, whether we want to admit that or not. Right. Um, it's a little less... On the high school level, I'd say it's a little less um, overt than the pageant circuit, but certainly as you go get higher and higher in that patriarchal system, there's plenty <laughs> of that BS to go around as well. Correct. Um, so I, I think I'd fair to say I have pretty complicated um, opinions on it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you do too. Yeah, um, for sure. How do you think the book handled it? Like, uh, what was your takeaway? I I really liked it. I liked that we had Mallory on the one end being like very extremely against it and like Claudia was a little bit more towards that end and only got into it because all the rest of the girls were doing it and like even Dawn is a little bit sort of like reserved about it. No none of our girls are like super invested in pageantry as a thing and they're all a little bit wary of it I think, which I appreciated and I think it was interesting that there was a character, her name, what was her name? Simone Bouvier. Um, Sabrina. Sabrina. Sabrina Bouvier. Sabrina Bouvier. So there's a, as Claudia describes her, a pageant head. It's a girl who's yeah. now, she's like seven. She's been in six pageants. She wins because her mom is one of those sort of like behind the scenes pageant moms that's pulling the strings and schmoozing with the judges. And like, I thought it was good that we had that insight into it and then also the fact that even at the end our the charge you know the babysitting girls the girls that are actually in the pageant are sort of like eh whatever and like Mariah comes in second and she wins um a shopping spree at Toy City and she's like oh I definitely wanted to win that that's the best prize and so like they're not concerned about like winning losing or ever doing it again necessarily it's just like oh, that was a thing that I did maybe not Charlotte <laughs> she was a little bit sad at the end we can talk about that more but i think i think it was a a good perspective of pageants for sure yeah i think i think they did a really nice job of keeping it balanced like Mm -hmm. you said like there was um it it didn't make any of the girls um silly for wanting to be involved right it didn't talk down even mallory and jesse's um anti very pretty firm anti uh, pageant stance was mostly played for um laughs and with some restraint like Mm -hmm. they they sort of gently roll their eyes but aren't you know lecturing anybody right well and mallory Um, even goes and like supports her sisters so it's not like she's so opposed to it that she's like i can't even attend you know like she doesn't like it but she's going to be there for her sisters because they want to do it yeah i think it was um how did uh, – what was I thinking as, as we went through? I was like, man, if I had to put myself in anybody's shoes at that particular age, I probably would have been a Mallory. Um, when I was the little girl's age, I would have been into the pageants. By mm-hmm. junior high, I was very much um, mini-feminist. Right. Um, that I think like all, like a lot of young girls discovering feminism swing um, pretty far to the extreme where, you right. know – seeing the patriarchy and objectification and everything without really thinking about what all is involved and what it might mean to the people participating. Yeah. The complete lack of, of nuance. Um, I, I remember getting very high hort, high headed and, um, high headed, high handed and didn't didactic with mm-hmm. like, Oh, 
especially with other girls in my school when I was like learned what the patriarchy was like, oh, you poor things. You haven't you were not as <laughs> not, now I understand not as in like Lauren. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woke wasn't a thing when we were. I mean, the word wasn't woke, but yes, I was very much unironically like painfully earnest little white girl woke Lauren um, like cringy to think about now. Um but I probably would have been Mallory, which just goes back to, man, Mallory, once again, doesn't suck nearly as much as I had it in my head that she did. It's shocking. Every, I mean, every, we've every time it comes up, I'm like, seriously? Why did I hate Mallory so much? More and more. So here, I have a theory. Um, and well, we'll get to whether or not my predictions were correct, because spoiler, they were not. Um, but I do have a, an, an ongoing theory prediction Maybe Allery, Mallory starts sucking when her hair turns red. Maybe red <laughs> means she's the devil and a villain. And um, that's when her hair changes from beautiful dark curls to orange and awful. That could be very true. And it also could be that the ghostwriters forget that her hair is brown and also that she has a decent personality and sort of <laughs> lean into the lesser aspects of Mallory once once Anna Martin doesn't have her her personal touch on it. Obviously, I'm sure that Anna Martin was still involved with the books, but since she wasn't writing every single one, it probably was a little bit more difficult to keep consistent, well-rounded characters oh, for sure. all of the girls. Yeah. And just like any um, long-going running series of any kind, characters, characters eventually become... Um, sort of caricatures of themselves and sort of lean into those stereotypes. I'm thinking like pretty much anybody on community by the very end. um, Kenneth from 30 Rock in particular started off as basically a human being and ended as a literal like time traveling, (laughs) whatever, like weirdo, like so bizarre. Immortal, Um, ageless being that is around forever. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Man, I I need to do a 30 watch or a 30 Rock rewatch. Um, but anyway, um, I, I think that that definitely probably has something to do with it, too, as the, as things go on and they do start to get more codified into mm-hmm. the shy one, the smart one, the, right. the art one. Yeah, the, the, the conversation that we had in our sort of intro episode when we said what, you know, when we did the sort of like word association, like what word comes to mind for each of the girls. I think you're right that that's going to that's where it's going to get. Whereas in these original books, there's a little bit more nuance to the characters and they're maybe not quite just those like one thing, I think. Oh, they, we are starting to get that in the descriptions of them where they do sort of like throw in one thing for each of them over Mm -hmm. and over again. Um, Like Marianne's mom is dead and (laughs) Jesse is a ballerina and Mallory likes horses. Like, okay, they've all got the like. Dawn eats, um, doesn't eat junk food. Right, only eats healthy. Like they, they Claudia start loves to have junk those, food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's not smart. Claudia's not smart. Like they have, it, most of them have two to three. Yeah, like small things. Mallory and Jesse don't as much yet. I'm assuming. Um, I mean, to be fair, at this point, Jesse is just basically an extension of Mallory that is black and does ballet. We don't right. know anything else about her. Exactly. Um, but it, it, I, the the horse girl thing made me crack up, especially because um, 
my cousin Brianne, who is one of um, our earliest listeners and, and is going to be excited to hear her name, um, she would wanted us to know that the horse books that I mentioned a couple of times were called the Saddle Club. They were, in fact, very, very important to girls her age. Um, and there was even a TV show and movie that you can find on YouTube. So oh, wow. um, okay, if there then. was anyone else like screaming at us, <laughs> Saddle Club, um, we have heard you. We we stand corrected. So um, I'm not going to lie. This quarantine drags on much longer, and I may be going down a YouTube rabbit hole. Fair enough. I don't see any problem with that. Um, so I, I said I, I sort of identified with Mallory at this point, in, at, at that age in my life. Um, who do you think you would have been among the girls at 12 or 13? Um, I mean, I feel like probably Claudia... Because Claudia, at the beginning, when they first hear about the pageant, is a little bit more towards what Mallory says. You know, she's sort of like, they're a little bit sexist. You know, you only want to see that the girls are able to be pretty and poised and doesn't really care about that. But then she gets into it because she wants to participate and she's obviously a little bit more comfortable with it. I feel like were I a character in this book, I would probably be Claudia. Initially, like, I don't know about this. and But then, like, as all of my friends get into it, I think I would have also gotten very into it and been like, I want to participate too. Like, not necessarily because I wanted to be involved in the pageant specifically, but because I didn't want to be left out of what all of my mm-hmm. friends were doing. And I didn't want, if I had the potential to have the winner be the one that I helped, I would definitely want to help someone so that I could try to make sure they would be the winner. And thus, I would be the best babysitter. Like, I, I think Claudia is the one that I would identify most with in this, for sure. I can see that. I can see even myself as a competitive person. If I hadn't, like, it probably would have been a war between my baby wokeness and my um, fear of being left out and need to win everything at all times. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, especially at that age, had not at all learned how to temper my need to win. Um, Which actually brings me to the girls themselves. So... You mentioned the participants. Um, who was your favorite little girl and and talent? What was what are the things that stood out for you? Do you remember any of them? Uh, oh, I remember all of them. <laughs> I mean, do you like? Does one stick out for you as like the most memorable? Um, I I mean, obviously, Margot's is the most memorable because she recites a poem and opens. or unpeels a banana with her feet and then eats the banana and recites the poem again while she's eating the banana. So just wild. I I, I can't even imagine how I would even attempt to open a banana with my feet, let alone be able to do it and have myself think, and I guess she's like seven, so maybe this this is why she thinks it's a good thing to do for a talent. But like why, I cannot even fathom even at seven being like, I know how to do this, and this is what I'm going to do for a talent at a pageant. Right. Like, can you even imagine sitting in that audience and this little girl in her cute little velvet dress comes out? Either I can't remember if she was in red or green. One of the Oh, no. She was two. wearing a, a painter outfit because the poem she oh, was reciting right. was This is the House that Jack Built. And Jack so she built. had, like, a painter, painter coveralls with, like, toy hammer, toy screwdriver in the pocket. <laughs> 
bare feet, of course. So she, because she wanted a a monkey suit. Obviously, this is my fashion brain focusing on that. She wanted a monkey suit, but the monkey suit had it was like onesie and it covered her feet, Mm -hmm. and she needed her feet free. So that's how Mrs. Pike and Don convinced her to go with the painter outfit because she needed her feet free. (laughs) That is right. That is right. I was thinking of the the. dresses that they had to wear. I forgot that they Yeah, changed. that was during the interview portion. Um, because I was, for some reason, just picturing this little girl in it, like a velvet dress sitting down <laughs> and like pulling off lace ankle socks and her like black patent Mary Janes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> whipping out a banana. Um, I was dying because what? I can't even... Like, who... I, that feels like a first draft idea that somebody put in there as a joke. Like, right. Ha, we'll fill it in later. Gonna, <laughs> yeah. Somebody's going to push back and be like, seriously, this monkey child. And and instead we got to the end and we're like, really? That that went to press? Nobody said, hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. Maybe something a little bit more reasonable and realistic. <laughs> because for the most part, these books are relatively grounded. I mean, definitely in a like slightly... Um, easier work like easier solutions than mm-hmm. the real world for obvious reasons but there's no like nothing this is i think the craziest thing we've read in these books so far it's definitely up there i i it's just yeah it's definitely got to be someone was like okay margo's gonna do something silly like claire's doing something silly which is singing the pop by the sailor man song wearing a sailor suit which is like five-year-old silly right level so they were like margo's got to do something even more silly so we'll figure like you said like this is a placeholder because it's so silly so we can remember that it needs to be more silly than claire's but no one ever came back and was like "Mm, maybe let's not do that (laughs) like we'll come up with a different silly thing they were like yeah whatever just it just print it it's fine just release dates coming up like we got to get this out so it is what it is she can open bananas with her feet the end (laughs) So weird. Um, ugh. And I just, I can't imagine wanting to eat something that had been opened with my feet. Especially- well, and I think she ate the banana with her feet, too. Like, I, th- I don't think it was, oh. I don't think her feet were touching the part that she ate. I think it was all, there's, but there's no way you could open a banana with your feet without touching the, like, fruit part that you would actually eat. Yeah. Like, there's, there's no, so she was walking around barefoot, walking out exactly. on the stage, which, like, as someone, as you know as well, like we both did theater. As much as they Stages try to like gross. sweep those and clean them before shows, like they're gross. Backstage is gross. It's very dirty. It's dusty. There's junk. Like I, ugh, ugh. I didn't. I wouldn't even want to like walk into my house with my feet bare after being on a stage. Yeah. with bare feet. Let alone open a banana and eat it. And no one in that family or the babysitters club were like. Mm, Maybe don't do that. You're probably going to get sick. Also, how many bananas did they go through? Oh, my God. They must have – like because there's a running joke that everybody has, this is the house that Jack built, stuck in their head. Right. Which so did I by the end of the book. Um, And uh, so they at one point reference, you need to stop eating those bananas. You're going to make yourself sick. And I'm like, was this child eating a banana every time she said the poem? Because good Lord, she – didn't need a monkey costume. She was going to turn into a monkey. Seriously. Yeah. And like, maybe you could practice the two parts separately. Like, make sure you have the poem memorized. Make sure you can open the banana. And you don't have to do both every single time. <laughs> um, I feel like that is definitely heading into the territory where she'll like never eat another banana again. Right. And have like a total aversion <laughs> like to I can them never as do an this adult. Again. 
Uh, like I ate ramen every meal for like two and a half years in college. And now I just can't do it. Um, not college, like junior high. Um, I don't even know why I said college because I didn't eat it in college for that reason. Yeah. Um, I had already gotten my fill of ramen by that time. Fair enough. You're like, I'm over it. It's not my thing. (laughs) You guys can do what you want, but that is not me. So is there anything else on the the pageant side? Because there's obviously, like you said, there's sort of a lot of things that happen. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to touch on on the the pageant piece of this um, discussion. Um, I think that they did a really good job, too, of uh, like wrapping it all up, of allowing the babysitters to, once they got in there and actually see it, realize how ridiculous it was Mm -hmm. um, and and like that sort of break the tension, Um, but also acknowledge that at the same time it – while it was going on, it did ramp up the competition between the girls, which makes total sense. Um, The babysitters are old enough to see the silliness seems when they get there. Um, The kids aren't and are like still in competition mode. Um, I like too, that it was honest about the outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, Similar to, I felt similar to the same way I did about Ashley and her art. Like you didn't want her to be a good artist, but she was, it was earned bravado and and same with this um here i found the quote that that claudia says i did appreciate too you mentioned that claudia was sort of like mallory and that she was um eh on it in the beginning Mm -hmm. i I thought it was fascinating and i wonder why how where it came from but she definitely had the clearest view on exactly what patterns were Mm -hmm. to begin with where she wasn't really so much anti as she was like wary of it yeah and um she said, a pageant head, that's what? A poor kid who gets roped into any beauty contest or pageant that comes along. Her whole life is one big smile. And then Dawn points out, she's not that pretty. And Claudia adds, and maybe not that talented, but she knows pageants, or her mother does. Yep. And she knows what the judges like. And and that is um, such a subtle lesson to be teaching little girls mm-hmm. that... Um, it, that you Mariah is clearly the prettier and more talented and quote unquote objective best candidate, which again, we are getting, you know, first person narrative narrators Mm -hmm. from our girls. So take that with a grain of salt. They wanted her to win, but the fact that the best person doesn't win and the person who knows how to work the system does. um, I think that's a really good thing to have as a message for these for young girls reading it because that's mm-hmm. the way the world works. Yeah. That's the reality of it. Um, yeah, I agree. And sort of playing off of that when um, Marianne sort of gets Mariah interested in doing this and Mariah asks her parents if she can mm-hmm. be in the pageant, Mrs. Perkins is like the most level-headed, most amazing Love parent it. ever. So this is kind of a long quote, but I think but no, I think go it's, it. no, it's, it's good for important. everyone to hear it. So – This is what Mrs. Perkins says to Mariah when Mariah expresses interest in joining. So she says, in any pageant or in any game or contest, there are winners and there are losers. You might be a winner, Mariah, and that would be wonderful. Daddy and Gabby and I and even Laura would be very proud of you. But you might be a loser, too. There are going to be lots more losers than winners. And I want you to know that we'll be proud of you if you lose. We'll be proud of you for having the courage to be in the pageant and for the work and rehearsing you'll do. Then she adds later, one more thing. I think you should know that for some girls, this pageant won't just be fun and games. I hope it'll be fun for you, but for others, it will be work. They'll take it very seriously. You might be competing against girls who have been winners in other pageants or who have won beauty contests or talent contests. They'll know how pageants work, and they might, just might, not be very friendly. I want you to understand what you're getting into. That's all, okay? Like, I loved that. 
I seriously, that just what a gift to have that tiny little passage mm-hmm. in the middle of this book. And even better, um, you notice the next thing that happens is um, Dawn says Mariah listened and really took that mm-hmm. to heart, but Marianne didn't. Yeah. And um, and that to me was such a like, wow, we're really um, getting into the place where we are allow- starting to allow these girls to make mistakes yep. and to be the ones who um, are, are the, the fault, uh, or not the fault, but the cause of the lessons that they're learning. Right. Um, because to this point, it's been largely, you know, outside forces that they're coming up against. Um, uh, somebody trying to break up the club or the uh, burglar in the neighborhood that mm-hmm. turned out to be not a burglar or, you know, um, a, a high temperature. All of those are external things. And we've talked a lot about how the girls have been allowed to be the good ones mm-hmm. um, all along. Um, and I think... If memory serves, now we're going to start to move into more of a phase where um, the girls are allowed to have more faults and are allowed to get a little bit more complex, um, which does kind of go against the whole uh, caricature hypothesis we laid out earlier. But I, I think the p- plotting gets more complex yeah, even as the characters get more um, more rigid, I guess, is the best way to put that. Yeah. Because they don't... I don't know that they become caricatures, but they definitely become more rigid. They don't. Re- there's not a lot of like grow and change. Some, but yeah, they're more formed change. as their character. So it's a little bit yeah. easier to say, you know, Marianne's a shy one, Christy's the bossy one, because it's exactly there's a little bit less movement in who they are. But yeah, I I agree. I, if, if my memory serves me, I think you're right that the the plots themselves are going to be more, not maybe not entirely, but they'll be more focused on our girls having a situation happen and because of things that they've done as opposed to because things happen to them. I think that it'll be interesting to see where things go from here for sure. Um, So before we leave the pageant behind completely, I I just want to go back to, so my big prediction was um, this was going to be the book where um, Don's mom and Mr. Spear get back together. (laughs) Trip takes a walk. Don tried really hard. (laughs) There is literally one line mention of him, um, and he's referred to as an old friend that she can sit new at the at the, at the pageant. So if anybody um, had picked up this book and hadn't read the previous, they would have zero inkling. Oh, an old that friend. We're... How nice. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. They knew each other back in the day. And I'm like, well, wah, wah, wah. There goes my big the um, end. romantic reunion. Well, and to um, call myself out, I did say that I thought that Jamie Newton was going to participate, and he definitely did not. <laughs> Um, even as you were saying that, I'm pretty sure you were thinking of Pacey. That's very in possible. Dawson's Creek, because um, he did uh, the Braveheart speech. Oh no! I mean, I Joey... remember that. I just thought oh, yeah. that it was also in this Jamie Newton. Yeah, yeah, could have been very possibly. Um, we did both sort of think it was like a local thing too, and I think we were kind of half right on that. Um, it says it was locally held, but it sounds like. Uh, the appearance of Sabrina Bovier seems to indicate that it is part of the larger Connecticut pageant. Right. You start at Um, Stony Brook and go to whatever the county they're in and then to the state or I I guess. I don't don't know enough about the inner workings of pageants too, especially child pageants to know how how you advance through the ranks as you win. Did you ever watch um, 
any of the what what is that show even toddlers and tiaras that was no all the rage for a while and me either De- definitely not that that kind of reality tv as much as i do enjoy some reality tv that type of sort of exploitative feeling reality tv is like has never been a thing that i yeah like it's one thing and i think that's the same reason why i have not and will not watch tiger king like i just don't i don't want to watch people that have major issues whatever whether it's drug addiction or you know hiring someone to kill your rival or just children being exploited by their parents like i i don't want to watch that i would much prefer to watch you know love is blind or america's next top model or project runway (laughs) than maybe it's just i don't like real life and i think we've talked about this before like i've watched a few seasons of like the first new york real housewives and like even then i was just sort of like i don't want to watch people being mean to each other in their regular lives like compete for something (laughs) right um who was it uh chrissy teigen just tweeted something today about um begging reality shows to please not air this portion of (laughs) people's lives like (laughs) next year when all the this year's like next season of reality tv is like this year uh, she's like we don't really need to see everybody in quarantine for yeah. like can we just pretend that skip past that yeah we don't need reality um, tv about this yeah no we don't all want to relive this eight months from now um I-, I definitely feel you on the tiger king thing i i watched instantaneously and was hooked um but largely because i have a fascination with that world um I feel very vindicated about this because you, of all people, know of my obsession with cat dancers, Mm -hmm. which is basically Tiger King first, um, minus the murder. And I've been talking about it for years, that this whole large cat community is wild. Um, And I I enjoyed it until I realized that um, people weren't joking. Like, I thought the whole... Carol Baskin murder husband thing. I thought people were kidding until I started like realizing that people are actually holding him up as a folk hero mm-hmm. and treating her like she's some kind of cartoon villain. I, I, that is terrifying to me. Speaking of the patriarchy, there's something misogynistic, absolutely, at, about a lot of the um, way that people talk about her, which yeah. is upsetting. No, I, I agree. I've, and not to get like too political, but I feel like people's reactions to Tiger King and Carol Baskin in particular is um, sort of an indication as to why we have the president that we have and why we will likely have the same president next year, which is not something I feel happy about saying, but it concerns me that this is a reaction to Tiger King because I think it's indicative of a much bigger issue in American society as a whole. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, Okay, so, so <laughs> enough of that downer. Happy. I'm like, although the, well, I feel like the other no. big thing in this book is not happy. <laughs> I know I was going to make the joke. Well, from one really fun topic to let's go back to the upper. That is Jeff abandoning the family. Not really. Um, yeah, but that's how Dawn I, feels about it. Definitely. I mean, I just to sort of jump into the topic. I mean, as frustrating as Jeff has been over the course of the last few books, where he's been sort of acting out. I mean, even I think we've even discussed it a little bit before, maybe in um, Goodbye, Stacey, Goodbye. Like, he's clearly hurting. And mm-hmm. I really appreciated that Anna Martin writing this book took the the effort or took the opportunity to sort of show Jeff 
coming into his own and sort of taking ownership of, you know, when he gets in trouble for getting in a fight again, you know, he uses that as a chance to be like, I'm sorry that I did that. I know I've been acting out a lot, but here's everything that's going on with me. Can we please talk about this in a serious, rational way? And I, I appreciated that that we made, that Anna Martin made Jeff a more mature 10-year-old to sort of, again, mm-hmm. with the modeling behavior. Like, if you're really hurting about something, acting out is not going to cure it by itself. It, you should maybe not do it at all. But if you need feel the need to get that attention from your parents, like use that as a, an opportunity to try to have a calm conversation with them about what's really going on. And I, I thought that was a really, really nice touch from this story that's been going on for several books now. Yeah, I I so appreciate how nuanced and carefully done this story has been, that there is no right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I jokingly said that, you know, Jeff abandoned the family because that's how Dawn really right. views it. Um, but she's allowed to view it that way. And there's the space for her to be really hurt and really upset that he is, in her view, abandoning her, mm-hmm. um, while also having space for Jeff's experiences as well. Right. Well, because to point out with that, he as sort of the, the opposite side of Dawn's feelings. He feels like they've all abandoned Jeff mm-hmm. and Don's dad. And so it he and he points that out to her. So I thought I like that there's sort of the both versions or both sides of the coin on leaving California and going back to California. Um there are a couple of places that it really stood out for me, but one of the things that I loved so much and I'm going to um hang on and and use this with the kids. Um he talks about how there's this sort of anger bubbling up inside me at all times. And then when something happens, like Jerry making a stupid jerk comment today, all that anger just boils over. And then later, the metaphor gets even taken further um, when he says that I think if I could just move back home, I mean, to California, all those anger bubbles would just go away. And Dawn says, like somebody turning off the fire underneath you. And that metaphor just... Mm-hmm. Oh, it really jumped out to me. I was like, wow, what a great, simple way for a kid to understand pressure and the way that pressure can make you act in a way that you wouldn't normally yeah. um, want to behave. Or you, when you find yourself doing things that you don't want to be doing um, because, oh, God, I, thankfully, it's been a very long time, but I still have some pretty vivid memories of, of feeling so helpless and angry and not understanding what to do with that emotion and it mm-hmm. just being so big and um and and that hurt and how and that hurt just feels so big and angry and it doesn't go anywhere mm-hmm. um so i i love that there was room for that um i love that even dawn had space to acknowledge that um it, it's not so simple you know she talks about how um she misses california too and she misses mm-hmm. her dad and sunny and her school and um she said if I – what she boils it down to is I think if I had to wish for anything, I wish we never would have moved from California. And I really felt that. Mm-hmm. Um, as, well, because she says then she wouldn't feel so confused after she exactly. says that, Which is like – it makes perfect sense because if that had never happened in the first place, she wouldn't have to be dealing with these feelings now because Jeff wouldn't want to be going back to California because they would still be in California. 
it was very similar to how I felt about Vegas, mm-hmm. about leaving there. It was like, man, I wish I had never moved here in the first place because then I wouldn't be missing all of these things that I'm going to be leaving now. Right. Um, and, um, you know, that was a, a big emotion for me to have at 34, 35, let alone as a 12 year old, um, who, and it was my decision. I had agency mm-hmm. and Don and Jeff have zero agency in the situation. And, um, God, research shows again and again that that lack of agency um, for anybody, regardless of your age, can cause some serious emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think it was handled so beautifully well. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. Cried a lot. Cried a lot. Um, I cried in the before times. Cried again today. <laughs> Fair enough. The idea that um, the part that just kept hurting me is that Dawn is so very convinced that it's not, it won't hurt Jeff to leave her. That right. he, all she can see is his excitement about going home. And it's true. He is um, not handling it as well as he could because he is a 10 year old. Right. And he's been struggling so much that all he is focused on now is I get what I wanted. I get to go home. Everything's going to be better. And um, because he's 10, cannot understand that, as Dawn's mom so gently points out over and over again, he can't see it now. He will miss us when he gets mm-hmm. there. Um, He's just incapable of it at this point. Right. Um, So it's not like they made, you know, Jeff some kind of saint and Dawn isn't taking it well. Um, They're acting like real people. Right. Which is not not something you see a ton of in kids' entertainment. Yeah. Well, and Dawn does come around by, like, by the time Jeff is leaving, she, she comes around and she understands and she's obviously sad and she does think that maybe he's not going to miss her as much as she's going to miss him, which obviously isn't the case, but she does come to sort of understand and acknowledge that he needs to go back to California and see how things work. And if, if that fire will get turned off and he'll feel more happy and comfortable. And when I I have to say, when I was taking notes and we got to the part where they confirmed that, that they'd work things out and, you know, Don was sort of just like, okay, well, I guess this is happening and just feel sort of numb about it. Um, I inserted in my notes, the gif of Lando in Solo saying, I don't like it. I don't agree with it, but I accept it. Because I was like, that is 100% Dawn right now. She's like, yes, sort of is what it is. I can't do anything about it. I have to work with what's going on and we'll see how it goes from here. But And that's such... That's such an apt comparison, especially considering at the very end, the very last thing she does is they take her to the airport, haha, all the way to the gate, yeah. 80s alert. They showed up um, an hour before the flight also. Yep. I took specific notes of that. I was like, wow. I, the last time I did that, I literally had to run to my gate. Oh, I'm getting oh like God. nervous right now just thinking about that, <laughs> which is why I now go back to getting there much earlier than I used to. I literally have a tight feeling in my chest just from hearing you describe it because yeah. I know that panic so well. Um, oh, that's the worst feeling. Um, so yeah, that was a, a nice little LOL. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dawn, even though she like is begrudgingly come on board with it, where she is like, I don't like it, but, but I'm going to go with it. Yeah. Even then at the last thing she does is hug him and go, don't go. Never mind. Just kidding. I didn't say anything. Like I was like, Dawn, <laughs> <laughs> that was a little passive aggressive. My, yeah. lo- my love. Seriously. I'm like, don't whisper, it, don't go in his ear. And then be like, what? I didn't say anything. <laughs> what? No, I didn't say anything at all. Never mind. Um, that made me laugh a lot. Yeah. Um, I It was really, I'm telling you, this was has been one of my favorite books so far. Mm-hmm. The, the level of nuance that it handled two 
pretty tricky topics. Yep. Um, I, I think is is really pretty incredible, but and it was also fun to read. I mean, hello, mm-hmm. we had a whole ten minute conversation about the absurdity of um, banana feet. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> clearly, um, it wasn't just um, you know heavy. It was still a fun, quick mm-hmm. read, and um, all the girls got a little bit of a chance to shine. Um, Marianne wound up with Mariah, who is the only actual good candidate Mm -hmm. um which mariah seriously takes like all the lessons for like singing all the different dancing piano mm -hmm. i was like how how did they have free time (laughs) like what is happening right now so every once in a while we've briefly touched on some of the um economics of stony brook and the fact that yes it's very clear all these characters are very wealthy Mm -hmm. um but and dawn's in particular we've talked about that's some generational wealth and the whole um, her par- her grandparents not liking um, Mr. Spear because he's a lower class. Right. Um, like every once in a while, things like that slip in. And in this one, it was um, Don's like, what do you think of the new housekeeper to Jeff about his dad? And he's like, oh, she's all right. She's a little strict. And, you know, the meals she makes. And I was like, that's not a housekeeper. You have like a right. live in like nanny or, you know, au pair or something. Yeah. Um, and also, the but, Pikes have a grand piano in their house. Oh, yeah. That, that seems... was another one of those sort of like just tiny detail that's dropped in like, oh, right, the the grand piano or, oh, right, the quote unquote housekeeper. Like, how rich are you? <laughs> the Early in the book, um, there was the, was it Edie and Watson that went to the- An um, auction for a bird For bath? the bird bath. Yeah. I was and, like, what? <laughs> but not only did they go to the auction for a bird bath, the- um, it was Christy. Christy knew enough about auctions to say most people go to auctions to buy paintings or statues or oriental rugs. I'm like, <laughs> right. you are 12 years old, 13 tops. I don't think they've turned 13 yet. I can't remember. Um, I think they've all turned 13 because Marianne's yeah, the youngest right. and she her birthday party was when she was ran, ran away. away. You're right. They're all 13. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> at 13, I don't. I, I had vague ideas of what an auction were, but... I just knew it was a guy who went, sold. That was exactly. Yeah. But that's all I knew from auctions. Oh, and, okay. And Christie's like, bird baths and art and <laughs> yes. oriental rugs. I'm like, Oof. you lived in a very different world than I did. That is very true. Any other fun things that stood out to you? Any fashion report? Um, all the fashion was the girls and I think Margot's monkey suit wishes and actual painter attire was pretty good um karen wore her flower girl dress um for her talent mariah wore a pink leotard pink tutu and tap shoes and carried a gigantic lollipop while she tapped and sang while she sang little the good ship lollipop and tap danced along to it sabrina bouvier wore a long black evening gown with white gloves that went up to her elbows and her hair was piled onto her head so, oh, yeah, no, no fashion from our girls, but a little bit insane, <laughs> but understandable since it was a, yeah, uh, a kitty pageant, pageant yeah. where that's what they had available and that's what they wanted to wear. And it makes sense that Dawn um, didn't have, you know, go into the, the girl's um, fashion as much because that's never really been her thing right. to begin with. 
and there are very few times that all the girls were together um, in this book. Right. There were only it, there a wasn't couple a lot of meetings, and that was about it. And then I guess at the pageant, but they weren't describing themselves at the pageant. They were describing, or Don was describing the girls participating in the pageant. Um, one thing that I wanted to call out because you referenced this in The Ghost of Dawn's House, she mentions the Underground Railroad when she's describing yes, her I house. Did. I was like, Lauren is vindicated. <laughs> yes, I did. I noted that. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes, I was going to bring it up I myself had, if I had to. I had to call to. that out for you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Don't worry. I, w- I, I would have given myself credit for that one eventually. <laughs> um, but thank you for um, making me look much more gracious. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, I did notice that. Um, one of the character traits that I've noticed um, from Dawn that I, I didn't really think about is she is a bit of a drama queen. Um, like early in the episode or episode early in the book, um, after that first meeting, when they she gets pissy about the induction and then um, everybody gets pissy about Claudia and Charlotte mm-hmm. Um the, she says something about the meeting ended and she goes, but I kind of wish it never had. I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay. drama queen. Yeah. And then I, and then I looked back and I'm speaking of the ghost of Dawn's house. Remember that she was the one who like blew that all up into yep. some big epic mystery. So, um, that's something to keep my eye out. I'm going to, um, <laughs> Dawn drama watch. Looking for that. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if Dawn is the one that's, um, the, the drama. Right. Uh, Ramping things up. Yeah. Yeah. Always looking for the most, not salacious, but um, exciting possibility. Um, So I I did have one. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go. Since I brought up the last one. So we've been doing pretty well um, without having a, being able to see each other, Mm -hmm. but uh, I'm surprised that that's the first time we've really done that. I am surprised Um, as well. So what I was going to say is there's one um, other little passage in here that really stood out to me. Um, that I just loved. And it was about choice. Um, when Dawn is talking to her mom um, about allowing Jeff to go back to California. Um, and Dawn's mom tries to say, I don't have much choice. And Dawn says, yes, you do. People always have choices and you are making this one. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. I teach that all the time. Um, in fact, I was literally just teaching that in the last class I taught before I stopped being allowed to have a classroom. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Was that, um, you know, people always like to say, I had no choice. Mm-hmm. You might not have good choices, but there are choices, right? Like Bonnie and Clyde, they didn't have no choice. They could have gone to jail. Understand they don't like that option, but um, it is available to you. Yeah. So I thought that was, I'm still teaching grownups that. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that it's in a book for a child. Um, it, it gets even better um, Don, when... Dawn points out that, you know, she did have a choice and that's the one she made. Um, uh, Her mom says, maybe you're right, but I think it's the best choice. And then Dawn says, how can it be the best choice when it hurts so much? Um, Her mom says, right choices aren't necessarily the easy ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had that last little bit highlighted as well because it was like, it's it's so good. It's so good. It's so smart. It's so – such simple concepts but are so – not enough adults have internalized them, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the state of how angry people get with each other. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, that's just sad. Yeah. 
Well, I was going to say at the very end of the book, after Jeff is back in um, California, they have a, a family phone call to catch up with him. And afterwards, Mrs. Schaefer says to Dawn, um, most of the best things in life are tough, tough to work out or tough to achieve. If they weren't, we wouldn't appreciate them so much. And I was like, Mrs. Schaefer is like on point in this book. Yeah. So, you know, I have been over, maybe not overly critical, depends on your point of view. Um, very critical of her. Um, <laughs> yes. Very is the right word. And she was um, definitely f- acted far more like a mom mm-hmm. in this one. Um, except there was that one part she said, Dawn said, sometimes you feel much more like my sister than my mom. And her response was, yeah, sometimes I do feel more like your sister than your mom. <laughs> and I was like, ooh. That's a problem. <laughs> no, that's not good. That is so not good. Um, that is very, 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 very bad, in fact. Um, your child should never think of you as a sister. Not That's not how parenting works. Um, so I was so close to being like, okay, I was fully wrong about her. And then... Not 100%. She had to... Not 100%. <laughs> She's working on it. She's getting there. Yes. But clearly my um, concerns were not completely unfounded. Because, yeah, that, that always makes me think of when people watch Gilmore Girls and talk about how they wish their mom was their best friend like Rory and Lorelai and I'm like oof no you did not watch the same show I did because for sure the whole point was how that was dysfunctional a lot of times um also that they're both human monsters charming human (laughs) monsters but human monsters nonetheless fun to listen to but yeah not not great humans Rory in particular is just a bad person. Yeah, I, eh, it's not great. I couldn't even finish the, the Netflix sequel. I watched one episode was, and I was like, I can't do this. It had moments, but it was overall yeah, not good. Yeah, the, the moments were not enough for me to overcome it, sadly. Which is disappointing. Um, I, I hate – I'd almost prefer when things just suck outright mm-hmm. um, because then at least I can write it off. I get more frustrated when there are those little bits of – of good in something that's really terrible. Right. Um, Because you have to acknowledge the good. You can't just, like you said, you can't just write it off and be like, well, that's completely terrible. I'm done with it forever. Goodbye. Even more so, it makes me angry because I realize what it could have been. I'm like, look, it was there. If you guys just had... were so close. Right. So we were rooting for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, speaking of America's Next Top Model. Yep. Um, Um, Oh, so one thing... And I guess we're getting a little bit close to the end, but this is a thought that sort of has come up multiple times um, through the course of reading these books. And I think we've maybe touched on it a little bit. And then there's actually two points related to the same part of the book. So I'll introduce the part of the book and then I will get into my two points. So the first part or the the plot itself, um, when... Claudia is babysitting for Charlotte. Charlotte's very sad and they're hanging out and Charlotte says Stacy was her best friend too, which just like broke my heart. Ugh, me too. But, oh, so sweet. I know. But so like one of the things that Claudia suggests to like brighten her mood is like, let's go to my house and we can call Stacy and, you know, we can check in. You can see me, me, blah, blah, blah. So my first point is actually I'll, I'll do my non big point. One of the things that I loved that Claudia, or I guess Dawn referenced that Claudia is sort of like a pack rat and keeps things in her room so that she can use them in art projects. And I was like, that is a hundred percent me. And my notes, my notes in here are my office cannot be used for work because it's so full of my art related supplies. That's no longer true 
it's that half of my office in my house is full of art supplies because I could no longer just work on my laptop in our kitchen. I had to like set up the monitors that work would send me because obviously working full time all day every day is not very conducive yeah. to a laptop. <laughs> so I had to like rearrange my entire office to try to like get all the craft supplies into one half so I could work <laughs> in the other half. It's a very hodgepodge room right now for sure. But I was like that I feel that so much. <laughs> like, oh I can't I can't throw that away. I might need it someday. I am so bad about that. But the main thing that has popped up so many times with these books is it's so weird that these girls just like take the kids they're babysitting to second locations. Like, yes. oh, that's, and half Thank the time you. they don't even leave a note. And I'm like, I never, I don't think I ever took kids I was babysitting anywhere else, even like to another kid's house. Like, if I was babysitting, we were in their house or their yard. We didn't go anywhere. And so these books where the kids are like, oh, let's just go to my house. It'll be great. We can call Stacy on my bedroom telephone. Like, what? No. <laughs> like, no kids are ever coming to my house when I was babysitting. I don't, like, I don't understand. So I totally understand where you're coming from. And I also had the um, the very babysitter's club experience. Mm-hmm. So my neighborhood, uh, my parents live on a cul-de-sac. Um, and pretty much every house but two when I was growing up um, had kids all around the same age. And the um, a couple of them had older kids that I've mentioned before, the girls that I used to follow around, they would babysit us. So we would go from house to house, but because we were always doing that anyway, um, it, they were, like I said, we were one of those neighborhoods where like everybody's door was open and mm-hmm. people would just run in and out, um, and, you know, play kickball in the street corner. Like it sounds fake when I describe it, because <laughs> it sounds like I grew up in, in Pleasantville, but, um, it was very similar. So that to me didn't, register um going to the houses the times that it makes sense to me is when they like go in the wagon and take a walk down to town that would have been a what no Mm -hmm. um we had to get permission to walk off the cul-de-sac because the cul-de-sac didn't have a lot of traffic everywhere else did right this is stony brook's a, a a town a not insignificant town it sounds like and these kids are allowed to just walk from their neighborhood to the downtown area to get ice cream while they're babysitting without telling anybody. That's wild. I know. Well, and like, it's big enough that there are multiple middle schools and elementary schools for like the same grades. Like there's one high school, which, okay, that, but high schools are usually the biggest school, but it's like, it's a big enough town that there are multiple districts for schools. And since Christy and David Michael have to be bused to their old schools in their old neighborhood. So it's like, this is a big town. And these kids are just like, oh, yeah, let's go get a snack at the ice cream shop downtown. We'll peace out. Like, I don't understand this. This feels like a very – a holdover from a very 1970s um, kid-rearing mentality. Like, whatever. Yeah. Don't die. Uh, Have you'll fun. be fine. As long as you're home for dinner, we'll see you later. <laughs> there was just a – I cannot remember which podcast it was, but there was just a podcast not too long ago I heard about um, these kids that – at 11 biked across the state with their parents blessing and they gave them like money to stay in a motel on the like they rode their bikes like hundreds of miles to the one uncle's house um i think it was a podcast called heavyweight have you ever heard of it Mm -mm. um it's people um 
the host helps people confront things from their past. They're usually sometimes they're silly, sometimes they're serious. Okay. Um, but like things that have become a, a heavy weight on you. Ah, um, got it. Or have have become important to you. And like for the one little kid, he wanted to find the boys that he did it with because it was the seminal oh, moment for okay. him. And he wanted to like reunite with them because they had moved away. And it was this crazy thing. It was written up in the paper. And then they found the guy and he was like, oh, yeah, that was kind of cool that we did that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and it, that's one of the reasons I love that podcast is because it just goes to show that everybody's experiences are so different. Mm-hmm. Something that was hugely impactful to you could have been, you know, just a another blip day. On the radar yeah. To, yeah. Um, and, and the things that sound wild may not be a big deal to you just because of, you know, they might not seem like it at the time. Right. Um, but that's, that's what made me, what made me think of that is that that sort of free range kid rearing mentality mm-hmm. has gone very far in the opposite direction. Yeah. So there are definitely remnants of that, um, laissez faire, I guess, mm-hmm. attitude that would not fly now. Oh yeah, for sure. Can you imagine a millennial mom just being like, sure, go wherever you want. Do whatever you want. I'm sure no one will shame me for it. (laughs) I didn't even think about the shaming part. Yeah. Um, That's brutal. You know what? um, I've been relatively happy, and by relatively, I mean very content with my decision not to have kids. And I am very much affirmed in that decision with this current world situation. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling very, very good with my life choices. Agreed. Any other sort of crazy thoughts, one-offs, comments, questions, concerns? No, I thought it was overall um, one of one of my favorites so far. Mm-hmm. I, I was I agree. really, I was really pleased. Um, it was stealth. I was not. I don't think I was so expecting that. In fact, I was prepared to roll my eyes a little bit when I saw the pageant stuff. I was yeah. like, oh boy. Mm. I can't wait to hear a night, late 80s, early 90s version of what pageants were like. Um, just thinking about who was running pageants at that time. Right. Um, but overall, overall, I was very pleasantly surprised. Agreed. Top to bottom. Yeah, this is a good one. 10 out of 10. Would recommend. Definitely a good one, for sure. So what's on the docket for next time? Yeah, I was going to say, it's uh, Jesse's Secret Language, which is book 16. Um, I have pretty good memories of this one, I think. Do you remember this one at all? I remember that the secret language is sign language. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get, I cannot remember the kid's name, but they get a kid with uh, a hearing um, issue. And I think she has a cousin who is deaf and that's why she already knew the sign language and so um i just remember this one being um very much the hearing psa yeah um or deafness psa rather but i don't remember the actual plot although now that i'm talking about it i do kind of want to say um baseball was involved in some way but i don't know why there i just have an image of a baseball diamond in my head i think so I maybe I don't remember this one as well as I thought, but um, so I'm pretty sure the kids it's it's a new family. I'm pretty sure it's Matt and Haley, and for some reason I keep thinking their last name is Barrett, but that's Buddy and Susie and Marnie. So, I was thinking Barrett too. It's that's so it's, weird maybe that you like, said that Barnett or it's definitely a B last name. Maybe like Babcock or something. That doesn't sound right though. But like Matt is deaf, and 
one of the reasons why you're thinking baseball is because later in the series, once Christy starts her softball team, Christy's Crushers with a K, Matt yep, and Haley that. are on, Matt is on the team. Haley is a cheerleader with gotcha. Vanessa right. and I think maybe Charlotte. Becca. And Becca. But they use um, ASL as as like signs for the to like, you know, steal a base or whatever. Oh, that's right. So that's, that's probably right. why you're thinking of that. Okay, I'm and sure. It, well, that, at least I know it came from somewhere. Yeah, um, but yeah, I that was sort of all that I had. Sorry, Jesse, and I don't I don't know if Jesse like knows ASL. I think she sort of has some knowledge, but doesn't she can't like speak it fluently because she starts. I think that's why she starts like learning it. Like I think that's why she babysits for them first is because she has at least some experience with it. But I don't think I think she comes to like learn more of it. Because she's babysitting for them so much and, you know, sort of takes it on herself to learn it. And now I'm second-guessing that since you said cousin. <laughs> I Well, I – with our track record, um, it is far more likely that you would be accurate than, <laughs> than I would. All right. So anything else that we need to wrap up today? I don't think so. Anything else you want to throw out there? Um, well, I'll just throw out there where everybody can find us. You can reach us at on Twitter or Instagram at GenerationBSC. Um, and our email is GenerationBSC at gmail.com. Okay. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.